Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. If, if you follow the news at all, it's, it's certainly not uncommon to hear of stories uh, of either a local or national level uh, which deal with consumers becoming ill due to food contamination issues. So when stories like that break, usually the focus, the, the trail leads to where the food was grown or manufactured or perhaps a specific location in which it is bought, like a grocery store or, or the place it's served, such as a restaurant. Uh, the piece that I think few of us think about is the transportation of food from field or plant to the store shelf or the table. Hi, everybody. It's Jim Mitchell, and as you might guess, today we're going to discuss that transportation and handling process and some new rules being instituted by the FDA. Uh, guiding us through the details will be Attorney Christopher Williams. Uh, Christopher is an associate at Lavelle Law and has recently taken a look at this new law. He's going to share some information with us. So, Chris, uh, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Oh, great. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking in, uh, very much forward to this. It's, it's very interesting for what I've seen so far. Now, we're going to talk about the Food Safety Modernization Act, but before we do that, let's define the role of the FDA in a process like this. Is the FDA, are they a, a lawmaker on a federal level, or do they just institute guidelines that need to be or are encouraged to be followed? So the FDA is an executive department for the for the U.S., and they were ordered to create the guidelines on this one and to regulate uh, regulate the transportation of the food. And and so take us back then, if if you can trace the origins of this Food Safety Modernization Act. What to, when did this start to become something that the FDA needed to look at? Great. Well, so starting out, uh, they consider this kind of the first major uh, food leg- excuse me legislation since about 1938, so it's been over 70 years since anything major has happened. Uh, with the, we can just call it the FSMA to keep it easy, but mm-hmm. it's a seven-part rule that was um, signed signed into uh, signed in 2011, but really took uh, started taking place in January of 2013. Uh, so it's designed to protect the human and animal food that's uh, being transported. Uh, by reducing the chance of contamination during transportation, uh, specifically with transportation on the road and railways, so not worried about water or air transportation. The, uh, let's see. And then it's just uh, – oh, excuse me. Well, I'm going to say, you know, you, you mentioned that because it, as I think about driving around the highways here in the Midwest, you know, we always see food shippers. We see refrigeration trucks of, of all sizes, whether it's, you know – and they're always labeled, whether it's, you know, the lobster company or fresh food or produce. You'll see those trucks everywhere. So this act specifically covers trucking and, and, and shipping firms. What, what's the extent of, of what the reach is here? Yeah, so this is, uh, let's see, with this one, it will be for anyone on the road or on trains. So it really covers a lot of different people here. It can be anyone from shippers to the loaders to carriers. And the reason it's drawing so much attention is that these definitions are really broad. So they can mm-hmm. include even the brokers. So anyone they call, say, a freight broker or a 3PL is a common term. 
and oversimplifying here, but the three PLs connect the shippers to the carriers and the carriers to the end receivers, people receiving the food, uh, and there are loaders in between. And so they help from shipping to carriers or carriers to receivers. And as you describe the stops in that chain, like the three PLs, um, they, if I understand this correctly, they might never touch the shipment in any way. They just serve to connect other pieces in that transportation chain. Is that right? Uh, definitely, yes, that's right. And that's where a lot of... Uh, a lot of questions are being asked. Since they don't see the food, why are they responsible? Uh, but really, this the FSMA is focusing a lot on record-keeping and education. So the FDA itself is saying, listen, even if you don't physically see or touch the food, you can keep track of the records. And, and when you talk about keeping track of it, I think that um, from, from what I have seen here and, and some of the information that, that you share, that, that seems to be the focus. So if, if I'm a shipper or a loader, you know, someone who actually does handle the, the product in some way, you know, what is this going to mean to me? Definitely. Well, the first part is that we're going to look at the vehicles and the containers that are being used and making sure that they're suitable. And suitable is basically just they're able to be cleaned. Uh, so this won't change many of the current containers or trailers that are being used, but they want records of when and how they each item, either the trailer or the container, was cleaned. And then they need to keep those records for a lot, uh, for 12 months uh, and, after everything the, is clean. Oh, yeah, and those those records just because the records are relative to the containers and the shipping devices more so than the food that's that's going through them, or is it track both? Uh, correct. So it's uh, it's the actual containers that are being holding the food. Uh, mm -hmm. After that, w what matters would be what is put in there, and the reason. The type of food matter is whether it's raw or ready to eat, whether it needs to be refrigerated at a certain temperature range to stay uh, suitable for eating. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about the different pieces here, have you, have you started to see examples in your work already of, of how the act is going to have some impact on any of the, any of the players along the transportation chain? Uh, definitely. Uh, I had one client that actually had it was a it was a load that was going to three different locations. It was the same product, but throughout the process, they would stop, make one stop, let some food out, make the second stop, let some food out, and at the last stop, they actually had an issue where the when they opened the doors, the temperature was too high, so the last third was considered adulterated or contaminated. Uh, now, at this point, the FSMA wasn't in place, so they didn't. They, while they knew the food wasn't good. Uh, and they had to get rid of that load, they didn't um, know when it happened between the second and third. So it could have either been from opening the doors repeatedly and just letting warm air in, or it could have been while driving through a hot area, the truck just warmed up at that point. So that just it made that last third go bad, which was a problem for our client. Sure, and then at that point it becomes a question of who's who's responsible for that. Is that uh, part of what you have to get involved with is trying to sort that out then? Exactly. That's what we're working on with them. Uh, so the new the new change really for the SMA, FSMA will be to track the whole process from receiving the load all the way through to laying it out. So while it doesn't change necessarily – um, the fact that it, that food went bad, it's going to give you pinpoint where it went wrong, and then that will help lead to who's responsible. We're uh, really enjoying the conversation with LaBelle Law Attorney Christopher Williams today. and We're talking about the FDA's new 
Food Safety Modernization Act, FSMA, as you've heard Chris refer to it as, uh, and its impact on shippers and handlers, loaders, even third-party logistics firms we talked about already. Um, Chris, always very informative guest when he stops by to visit on the podcast. If, if you'd like to learn more about his experience and some of the things we're talking about today that we'll just never get to in the time we've got, visit LavelleLaw.com. Uh, you'll find Christopher's uh, profile, and you can take some time to read a few of the uh, very informative articles he's posted there and and certainly get more information and, and find contact information to get in touch with Christopher. Now, as we talk about the, the topic at hand here, I'm, I'm trying to get as much as we can, Chris, but I, I think I heard you say a little while ago when we started talking about record-keeping, um, kind of like a 12-month window. Can you can you explain what that period is, and, and in the process, when does the clock start ticking on that 12 months? Oh, definitely. And that's where, so they tried to keep it simple. They said everything needs to be held for about 12 months or for 12 months, excuse me. But it's never that easy, right? But the question is, when does the clock start, start running? So this is when you would want to talk to either the compliance officer for the, for the shipping company or an attorney because it changes for each record. Sometimes it's when the actual item is put in the, uh, removed from the truck. Sometimes it's, say, for a container, the last time the container is ever used, not the last time it was used for that one specific food product. So it, it just varies from there. And when you talk about the containers, um, are there instances in which some of these big shippers will have non-food products in the same truck as, as food, or are they always distinct and separate? No, they can they can definitely put multiple items in a in one truckload because you're trying to maximize the trans the distribution process. Uh it doesn't seem very efficient to have half a half a truck full. Uh so what happens then is there's a list uh the FDA has a list of items that are not food oriented that cannot come in contact with actual food. And that's all based off there are a lot of factors but uh, for example, what type of container the food is in as opposed to the non-food items, how closely are they loaded together, just different variables. And, and as I hear, it's funny, as I hear you trying to describe this to us in, in a short time frame, of course, um, there, yeah. there seems to be a number of things that, that you are referring to as sort of gray areas, undefined, um, you know, uh, a little bit nebulous in some way. Is is the FDA trying to put an effort forth, since this is really a first major legislation in, in a long time, uh, to do some education and reach out and help people understand a little bit better? They are. They uh, they will require some education for uh, some sort of some proof of education for certain, say, for the carriers uh, and any employees. And so they actually are setting up a website themselves, and then they'll allow other third-party websites to do the same deal of education, and that's to help get everyone on the same page. So at the very beginning, they aren't, they aren't necessarily threatening to fine and everything. They're trying to educate, get things rolling and in the same direction for best practice, and then they'll move on to making sure everyone is actually following the rules. And, and are these rules really new? Are they additive? Are they a little more definitive, or are there certain pieces out there that have sort of already been in place and, and restaurants or other people might already be adhering to very similar scenarios? 
Uh, yes, they, one of the big conversation pieces is about the overlap. And so, for example, milk shippers and, say, restaurants, they already have mm-hmm. regulations they have to follow. So the FDA has written specific waivers for certain types of shipments. So, again, the milk, uh, milk shipments uh, for grade A or milk products, those are already waived as long as they're following the excuse me the regulations that are in place now and again with mm-hmm. restaurants and food handling they also have a waiver it's just knowing making sure that you you comply with the the regulations under the waiver to make sure that you stay under the waiver and not under FDA's eye and you you gave me some dates at the beginning as to when um uh, this act was first initiated i think 2011 and and some of the factors starting to to come into play early 13 is this sort of a ramp-up period? Is everything effective now, compliance expected right away, or is there still some time before this all hits as in full force? Well, it's very smart to start getting your compliance in place now. It's not an effect, uh, They're not full force just yet, uh, but if you wait to the last minute, it's uh, that's not the best move, not a best practice, and the FDA is definitely looking for best, best practice here. Uh, so it looks more to be about mid-2017, unless you're considered a small business. And again, this gets kind of trickier to explain just over the phone, or over, excuse me, a podcast, mm-hmm. but the definition of a small business is um, it's not, it's anyone that having less than uh, $7.5 million in annual receipts or fewer than 500 employees, but it doesn't include motor carriers uh, that are also not shippers and receivers. So if that makes sense, great. If not, definitely talk to an expert on Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of questions, but we, we've done a great job covering here. Now, just I guess last thing before I let you go, you talked about you know, uh, the compliance and such. Does the FDA, how do they enforce? Do they have inspectors or auditors, or is it um, sort of a self-regulation? How, do, how does it work to make sure things are being done right? They will have their own. They will come in and audit. They will have their own. They said they will enforce the rules themselves, but they're also working with state regulators, and so they've asked other agencies to help report issues so that they're not alone on this. Mm-hmm. So that, well, yeah. a lot to, lot to be done, it certainly sounds like, uh, <laughs> in a short time to, to do a lot of it. So my, my thanks to Attorney Christopher Williams of Laval Law for taking some time to be here today. Uh, to learn more about this rather detailed topic, contact Chris at uh, 847-705-7555 or, as I mentioned before, lavellelaw.com, and you can uh, learn about uh, this and a number of different uh, very important legal topics. And uh, always get uh, some of our archives as well at blogtalkradio.com, iTunes, or lavellelaw.com. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 